before we get started, I need you to do me one favor. Pull out your phone and text this number, 501-214-4307. I just want to text you a couple of times a week, send you some fun messages, videos, just to encourage you on your unconventional journey. Again, all you got to do is text 501-214-4307. I just want to be your friend, y'all. Just text me. When you take action, you get feedback. When you get feedback, you can make adjustments. Mm -hmm. But I'm not so attached to the outcome that if I don't hit that exact outcome, I'm crushed Mm -hmm. because I, you know, I'm a man of faith. So I believe in God, right? And you call it the universe, whatever label you want to give it. But I believe there's other factors in play. So I believe just because I want this specific thing, I don't think that necessarily means it's the best thing for me. But if I go where I'm pulled as opposed to where I want to push, then I believe everything will kind of fall into place. I've always felt in my I was born with several falls. I have always felt small. I was told not to take risks. I may be blind, but I teach people how to see. And I'm proud to be an individual. This podcast is for you, the unconventional leader. Maybe you are the one that everyone discounted. Maybe you struggle with fear and self-doubt. We are here to empower the next generation of self-starters to step up. Use their voice and make an impact in this world. The more I stepped out, the more comfortable I became. That comes from today's guest, Mario Pareca. And if this is your first time listening, what's up? My name is Heather Parody. I am your host. And today we have the conversation guy with us. Yes, he is known as the conversation guy. He has tons and tons of conversations with people all over the world. Mario Pareca is a podcast host, former chef, who decided that media was his calling. That's what he wanted to lean into. And today he shares with us about the transition from being a chef on TV and radio shows, having cookbooks, and moving into media and how he was able to discern That was the next step for him by listening to that still small voice. And what he settled on was, yes, conversations, the power of conversations. So today we talk about how to get better at conversations, how to get comfortable enough with yourself that you can get comfortable one-on-one with someone else and create a space where they can bring their guard down and you both can lean into something vulnerable and awesome whether you're a podcast host or you just want to connect better with people. Mario's a friend of mine, super cool dude. Make sure you connect with him at marioporeca.com. And hey, if you have a friend who maybe struggles connecting one-on-one with people, maybe they just started a podcast and they're interviewing others, this is a great episode to share with them. And also too, Mario's journey is a little bit unconventional in the sense of letting go of something that was successful and taking a leap and trying out this new venture into media and conversations. He's been able to create an incredible business around it. But man, taking that leap is really scary. And I know for me, I've transitioned careers before and it's not always the easiest thing in the world. I hope this encourages you wherever you're at on your journey. Let's go ahead and jump into this. Have better conversations and discern your next step with Mario Pareca. You know, I was always pretty outgoing. I was like, I was a performer as a kid. That's like what I did intuitively. I would like, it was always very comfortable in front of the room, but not so much one-on-one. And that it's so odd to say that, but that's how it was. Even like growing up and going through things, I had a few very close friends. Everyone kind of knew who I was, but I was never like Mr. Social. So I was kind of the guy in the background. But I realized into my entrepreneurial journey when I became an entrepreneur that I was looking at my business and I was looking at 
you know, what was happening with it. And I targeted in on the growth of my business was directly proportionate to the amount of effective conversations I could have in a given week. So that's when I thought conversations are very important. And they weren't comfortable. When I first started doing them, one-on-one was very uncomfortable and it was hard, but I knew it was important. And when I realized that the, the moment that it shifted, when it became from very uncomfortable to actually fun, is when I realized, and I, I mean, not intellectually, but intuitively in my being and my soul, I guess you could say, I realized that it's not about me. Mm. When I really had, when that belief became concrete and I showed up, it wasn't like I need to put on, and it, being a performer, I always thought you have to put on a show and become that person that people want to see, right? Or so that they accept you. But when I realized it's not about me, it's about giving the other person space to be who they really are. And me showing up being who I really am is what gives them permission to be who they really are. Mm. Then it became interesting to me because to me, it was fun to have conversations with people. We could talk for five minutes and they would feel so comfortable because when you feel that way, it's odd because most conversations that you get into don't allow you to do that. They're like either business focused or where everyone's has an agenda or whatever. But when you feel like you have the space and you have the acceptance, you can be yourself. And when that happens, interesting things happen because it's not normal. Mm. And so it's fun. It's And that's what made it fun for me was being able to have conversations and, and understand people at a level that other people that they typically don't get to show up at. Could you do that with anyone? I like to think I can. It's 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 always a challenge. Everyone's different, you know. And and I think intention has a lot to do with it. Getting into the flow, into your zone of genius, uh, as part of it too. Because you know, and and don't don't get me wrong, it's not something that I think most people can just show up and do. I've had thousands of conversations over the last few years, and doing it every time, showing up and doing it, you get better. It's it's like a skill set. And it's not that I get better at it, it's just that I can get there faster. And that's another reason why my podcast, I take great pride in the fact that it's only like 10 to 12 minutes long, but I can get deep with people in that time. And it's because I've done it so much that I can kind of pinpoint on certain things that I wouldn't, I wasn't able to in the past. Hmm. So it's that, that muscle that when you go to the gym and you exercise, your muscles get stronger. And it's kind of the same thing. The more conversations, because I talk to a lot of people that are really nervous about having conversations. They're like, and the thing I hear the most, and I think you even said this to me in a conversation, a lot of people feel really comfortable, believe it or not. And this is so crazy to hear, but they say they feel really comfortable in front of a room, but not as much one-on-one. And I was that guy, so I get it. But if you show up and you do it, it gets a little more comfortable. You said that you can get people there faster through repetition. Mm-hmm. Where is there? There is them like dropping their guard, like being themselves. And the funny thing is, the funny thing is, believe it or not, and that's, we talk about vulnerability a lot, right? But the funny thing is when I like, well, when I meet someone, I can get there and they can get there and we have a great conversation. Then when we hit record on the podcast, it, the dynamic changes that little red recording light changes the dynamic because now there's other people invited in. Soon as that recording light goes off and they feel safe because like we're going on a journey, right? When you hit, when I came onto your show right now and you hit record, there's other people listening and watching right now. And I get that, but I trust you to guide the ship in a way that I'm going to be able to provide value to your audience. You're going to help facilitate that and everyone's going to win. When that light goes off, we can both exhale and now we're in a whole different place because there's a whole new level of trust between us. Now we've already gone there because you've been on my show already. So we had a little bit more of a base built. But when you bring someone on your show, and I think that's something a lot of podcasters miss because you know whether you're doing a live stream or a podcast or whatnot, I think a lot of people feel like the guest comes on, 
They want to have the conversation and they almost feel like they let the guest carry the content. Mm -hmm. And so they use it as like an out, like everyone wants to have an interview show because now I don't have to create content. I can just ask questions. And then at the end of that, over time, you can lose your authority, number one, because you're allowing that guest to, to kind of carry the show. And the other thing is, it's all about the downloads, right? It's all about the numbers for a lot of people. So the actual interaction, eh, it matters, but we're here to do this so that I can go promote it. And so I think they miss a lot in this. If you're here and you're fully present and you're in this, it's going to make that better. But people want to skip to the end. They want to go to the destination without taking the journey. And I think that's in a lot of things in life. Absolutely. And it sucks. It's so hard. We just want that end result. But hey, I was thinking you, you're hurting my feelings because you're, <laughs> you're reading my mail and it's making me uncomfortable because you said earlier being comfortable in front of a crowd, not that one-on-one -on -one space. Why do you think that is? Like, that's not a normal thing. I don't think everybody can relate to what you and I are talking about. I think less people will relate to it, but that's me to a T. Like, give me a microphone in front of people and I'm great. Like, I'm totally fine. But sometimes getting just one-on-one -on -one with people, I, I literally am like, I have anxiety. Yeah, well, there's a couple reasons I think for that. Number one is because when you're in front of the room, people give you a little more latitude, so to speak, because you have the courage to stand up in front of everyone, whereas they a lot of people there don't. So they'll give you the benefit of the doubt. So you feel like you have a little more latitude intuitively. The other reason I think is because when you're in front of a room, you're not really on the bubble. Because what I mean by that is you can look through a crowd of 100 people or however many and find the one that resonates with your message and focus on that person. So you feel accepted that way. Whereas if it's just you and I talking and you're not jiving with what I'm saying, it's a little uncomfortable because you're judging me and I can feel that. Mm -hmm. So it's... <laughs> it's okay. I can take it. I'm, I'm used to it. But it's that, it's that judgment, right? And so when you're in front of a room, it's a group setting. So not only do you have that little bit of a leeway, but you know, it, it's, it, it's not one-on-one. -on -one. It's not me. Like if you, if I'm in front of a group and you don't like me at the end of the talk or even before the end of the talk, whatever, you can just get up and leave. And that's that. Mm. But if I'm talking to you and there's that there, I have to face it. I have mm. to face you and I have to confront it. And that's a little uncomfortable. Yeah. Speaking of uncomfortable, just being comfortable in our own skin. When I think of people like you who just seem super comfortable with, with me or with other people, I think, wow, they're really comfortable with who they are. What, did, what had to happen in your life to, for you to get to that place where you felt comfortable in your own skin? That's a really good question. I think it's just Again, getting out there and doing it. Like if you go back and listen to, I, and I leave it there intentionally, my first podcast episode I ever did, it was in February of 2011. I, like I said, it's, it's kind of hidden online, so it's not like super easy to find, but it's there and I leave it there because it, it's really embarrassing. And it's really like, like my tone was completely different. And I, I did the best I could at the time with what I had. And it was really weird talking in front of a microphone because if you can imagine, at that time of my life, I was two years removed from being a professional chef. And being a chef isn't something that is typically done. You're in the back of the house. So you're hidden away. You're with the same people every day doing your thing. So to go from that to like something like this was a major shift. Um, I think I got more comfortable as I the more I stepped out, the more comfortable I got. And I know that sounds counterintuitive. But what motivated but you to step out in the first place? Necessity was one wow. part of it. Because, well, I, well, I, I want to say drive. 
I think it was drive because I, so I talk about this a lot, especially on my podcast. You'll hear me talk about this a lot. Intuitively, I had this, but I reverse engineered it so that I could kind of explain it. And I see, I've met a few other people who have this too intuitively, but I've had the ability in my life. And I think a lot of my success is attributed to being able to be focused, laser focused on the outcome that I want to achieve and taking massive action towards that because that's what I want. But at the same exact time, being completely open to the possibilities around me or the opportunities that come up along the way. Mm. And that sounds counterintuitive. I, I get it. But it's like pulling at both ends, which keeps me centered. And what I mean by that is I have an outcome that I want and I take action towards that. When you take action, you get feedback. When you get feedback, you can make adjustments. Mm -hmm. But I'm not so attached to the outcome that if I don't hit that exact outcome, I'm crushed hmm. because I, you know, I'm a man of faith. So I believe in God, right? And you call it the universe, whatever label you want to give it. But I believe there's other factors in play. So I believe just because I want this specific thing, I don't think that necessarily means it's the best thing for me. Hmm. But if I go where I'm pulled as opposed to where I want to push, then I believe everything will kind of fall into place. If you'd asked me 10 years ago where I think I would be today, I would say probably opening my fifth restaurant, building my restaurant empire, doing that whole thing. And of course, that's not where I am. I'm in the media world. I'm, you know, doing this with you doing and where I sit today is much more fulfilling than any of that other stuff. But I could have not come up with this on my own. This is someplace that I truly believe I was guided to, but I was only guided here because I was open to it and I was acting. So I was taking action based on where I thought I wanted to be. But along the way, things would come up and I'd go, hmm, that's interesting. I wonder what that's all about. And then I would spend some time in prayer and meditation and discern. And then I'd go act on that. And then I'd go, hmm, that's interesting. I wonder what that's all about. Mm -hmm. And then I'd go play there. And that led me ultimately in a roundabout way to here. But it, it seemed roundabout at the time. But now that I look back and retrace it, I can see where each little step I gained a skill or something that I needed to learn in order to get to the other side to open the next door. And so I think it's important to know what you want, but not be so attached to the outcome. And I heard this the other day. I was watching, um, and I've talked about this on a, on my on a show a couple of weeks ago. I was watching a Netflix comedy special of all things. Who thinks you get insight from stand up comedy? But I a do. Lot. <laughs> so, and I heard a comedian. He was talking about he doesn't think any dreams are crazy. Like if you have a crazy dream, he was like, come to me and we'll talk about it because I believe that any dream you have is valid. That doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to achieve it, but it's valid. And what he meant by that, and he explained it, and I totally get it. We're like on the same wavelength with this, is that the problem isn't the dream being crazy. The problem is our expectation to have exactly what we think we want. So if you think you want to be something, because like, let's say you're a musician and you want to be the Beatles, okay? You want to get to that level. Even if you don't get to that level, the pursuit of that goal will be infinitely more fulfilling than anything else you could be doing with your time. Yeah, yeah. And that's where we get lost and lose the journey. So for me, it's like, what do I want? Let me go pursue that. But along the way, I'm not attached completely to that outcome. Because I always tell people too, I say, look, if you're trying to force things, if you're trying to push, anything you push pushes back. But if you go where you're pulled, now you don't have to be pushing so hard. You can take that energy that you would be using pushing and start to notice things because there's infinite opportunities around us. The question is, what is it that you want? And based on that, what are you willing to notice? How flexible are you willing to be on how you get there? What's the hardest part of that for you personally? Like, where's the struggle in that action also being intuitive and listening and adjusting? The difficulty to me is in the discernment. And what I mean by that is it's sitting back and going, okay, God, what do you want? What's next? And hearing things and then discerning 
is that really where you want me to go? Or is that where my ego wants me to go? Hmm. And you'll know right away because when you start taking action, the feedback you get is very different. If it's ego driven or if it's, you know, just to make more money or if it's just purely for your own sat for your own gain, you know, I, I really believe that if we're really helping other people and we're trying to provide value and we're doing good things, good things will happen. But you have to be in alignment with that. You can't just be out there, you know, if you just want to be rich and famous to be rich and famous and you want to, you know, take all that money and do what you will with it or whatever, that's great and it may work, but I don't think you'll necessarily be happy doing that. Right. If you want to achieve something great because you want to contribute to other people and give back and make the world a better place, I think you'll have a little more help with that and it'll feel way better. Hmm. So for me, the challenge is in the discernment because like I said, the minute I really realized, and when I say realized, I don't mean just uh, just set it but I really realized it's not about me. That's the moment that everything changed because now I'm doing things and I don't take them personally. Mm -hmm. Like if I fail, I don't go, oh, you're so stupid or oh, you're an idiot. Oh, you failed again. I don't even look that way. In fact, I've gotten in a lot of spirited arguments with people over the, fa over the term failure because I don't believe failure is a real thing. I believe failure is a label we've created as human beings to explain to ourselves why we didn't reach an expectation that we believe we should have achieved. So, and I tell people, look, if I looked at it that way, I would say I failed as a chef. I was very successful as a chef and I could still be doing that right now and doing pretty well with that. But I decided that's not where I'm called. I have other things that I wanted to do and other places that I can, you know, spread my wings and share my gifts. So I moved on from that, but I don't look at that as a failure. I look at it as I learned a lot while I was there. I learned how to manage how you people. Know you were called, to do that? called to do what? Switch away from chef and become go into media. A lot of discernment, a lot of meditation, a lot of prayer, a lot of, you know, how to, where do I feel that I'm meant to be going? And, you know, nowhere. No, I mean, I didn't go straight into media. Um, that was the kind of the interesting thing. I, so to give you the story, I was, I was a chef, right? And I did that for about five and a half years. And before I was a chef, I was always an athlete. I played baseball. I loved to lift weights. I played sports and I grew up, my dad was a chiropractor. So I grew up around natural health and wellness. I knew how important it was to eat organic and be healthy and feel vibrant and all that fun stuff. So anyway, that was my life. So I went into cooking right out of high school. And I did, um, I did a three-year apprenticeship. So I went to college one day a week from like 6 a.m. to 9 p.m. on Mondays. And then the rest of the week, I worked my tail off. And I did that for three years. Then I stayed on in management afterwards. And the property I was at was the number one city club in America. It was very competitive, high volume. The people who were there wanted to be there and they wanted to be the best. And that's why I wanted to be there. Over time, as I climbed the ranks there, it became what I call the perfect storm. I was working long hours. I wasn't sleeping well. I was super stressed. And I was very competitive. I was traveling in competing as well, competing internationally. And I had access to some of the best food in the world. So I could eat as much of it whenever I want, which was awesome, but it wasn't super inducive to like living a healthy, rounded life. So I looked up like five years in and I gained a lot of weight, but that wasn't the worst part. The worst part was it kind of bled into my, the way that I treated other people, the way that I thought, my mood, my mindset. I just wasn't a happy person like I normally am. I was very short with people, very moody, very temperamental. And I noticed this and I was like, I don't want to live this way. This isn't who I am. So I called my dad and I said, Hey dad, I need help. And he's like, well, what's up? I said, I am just in a kind of a bad place. I'm in a funk right now. And I think the thing I have the most control over is my body. I don't have to like, th it's just, it's a matter of doing what I need to do to lose the weight. I either eat it or I don't. I work out or I don't. There's not a lot of thinking involved there. But I said, I don't want to have to test all these different fads, all these different things and figure out what works. Can you help me? Just tell me what to do. Tell me what works and I'll do it. 
And he said, I can help you, but you have to do everything I say and you have to be in 110%. So I committed, like really committed and said, let's do it. So I did everything he said. And in six months, I lost 70 pounds. I felt better than I ever felt. My energy went up. My attitude changed. I was like a completely different person. And I started working on myself. So at that time, I kind of got back to my faith. I was reading self-help books, self-development, growing as a person. At that point, people noticed the change, people that I was closest with. They noticed like this, not only did I lose a bunch of weight, but I was also acting differently and showing up differently. And so they started asking me, "What are you? how did you do this? What are you doing? So I just started helping them and coaching them the way that I was coached and what I was from what I was learning. And so then they started telling their friends and I was still cooking, but then I was doing my taxes that year and I realized that I made more money coaching than I did cooking. And that's when I went, hmm, this is interesting. I wonder what would happen if I actually got intentional about this and tried to build a business instead of just allowing people to come to me and whatever happens, happens. So I had some, again, discernment time there thinking about is this the path that I should go down? What should I do? How should I do this? And I decided to make the plunge. So I quit cooking professionally. I still love to cook, but it's just not something I do as a job anymore. And I got started my own coaching business. And as I was doing this, you know, weight loss was a big part of it because that was a big part of where I started my journey. And so people would ask me over and over again, you know, what can I eat? Because for whatever reason, when people make a, a shift, they think that the number one thing that they can do is eat grilled chicken and broccoli the rest of their lives and they'll never eat anything else again, which right. is just total nonsense. I thought in order to, you know, take care of this little issue of this, I was just getting asked that so much because they knew I used to be a chef. So I thought I'll write a cookbook. That way it'll create a little stream of revenue. And at the same time, it will answer that question. So I started writing my book. As I was writing this book, a large company, health and wellness company, found out I was doing this. So they commissioned me to write one for them. So I ended up with two books. So when these books came out, and this was before like Amazon and the print on demand and all this stuff, this was back in like 2010. So I ha- I'll never forget the moment I was sitting in my office and the books just came. And so like the moment when you hold your first book in your hand, it's like, I mean, it's just an incredible feeling. And I was mid-20s. I was like this huge accomplishment. And I looked around the room after. So I had this book. I was like teary-eyed almost. I put it down. I looked around the room and there were all these boxes of books. And that's when I thought, okay, how the heck am I going to sell these? And so that's what kind of pushed me into... So what I did was... I Now, granted, when I said that there's no print on demand or any of those things, my life savings was spent on these books. So I had to sell these to like get back to even. And that's all what I really cared about first is how do I get back to even and get my investment back? Then I'll worry about making money. So I started scheduling, I would book hotel rooms, like conference rooms. And I bought some electric cooking equipment and I would do cooking demos. I would sell tickets, fill these events up. I would cook and then I would sell my books. So people could try the food, see them made. And it became like a little cooking show. Well, the second one that I did was a complete disaster. First one went really well. I had like 10 people there. Second one, I had 15 people there. But what happened was I started cooking and because I was drawing so much electricity, I didn't realize it flipped the breakers. So now I have no electric. I'm trying to cook without cooking equipment. And these are people that paid to be there. So, and my chef training kicked in right away. My chef training, you know, there's a term in the industry called being in the weeds. I'm I'm sure you've heard of it. What that means is there's so much going on that you can't even see the next thing. So you just focus on the one thing in front of you and you just focus on that one thing until eventually you get out of the weeds and then you can see everything again. So that's what I did. I just focused on it. I stayed stayed the course. So about a half hour later, the electricity comes back on. They figured it out. So now I'm trying to hurry to cook this so that people who paid can actually eat. 
And when you're trying to cook fast and you're trying to cook hot, sometimes smoke comes. Well, the fire alarm went off. So the whole hotel gets evacuated. The fire company comes. I'm sweating bullets. We get back in there. I get everything done. I'm apologizing profusely, giving free stuff away, trying to keep everyone happy because they paid to be there again. And at the end of it, I'm cleaning up, feeling really bad. And some lady comes up to me and she goes, you had a pretty rough one today, huh? And I was like, yeah, and I'm trying to apologize. I'm trying to laugh it off, whatever I can do. And she goes, well, I'm so-and-so, and I work for the local CBS affiliate. If you could do this well without working equipment, I'd love to see what you could do with working equipment. Here's my card. Call me. <sighs> so I followed up, landed my first TV gig, and from there I was hooked. So I did the TV. I realized, wow, I was just in front of over a million people doing one thing at one time, and it was fun. And that's when, so at that point I thought, this is what I need to be doing. So I started reaching out and I did over 70 different TV appearances over the next couple of years. But every time I did them, I was always trying to figure out the behind the scenes and talking to the producers and looking in the production room and trying to sneak in there instead of sitting in the green room and eating fruit and then just going to doing my thing and leaving. I was trying to learn. And that's what introduced me to a gentleman who was in radio, ended up landing my first radio gig had my landed my own show, which turned into my own TV show and contributing three weekly columns to the local newspaper, doing digital content for them, all of that stuff. But radios would introduce me to podcasting yep. because I was doing syndication on radio, meaning, you know, radio syndication, you get on different channels, but there's a lot to that. There's a lot of moving parts. Mm -hmm. But at the time I realized someone said, Hey, have you ever heard of podcasting? And I was like, no, tell me about that. And they said, anyone with a computer or a phone has access. So you can put your show there and people in California can listen for free essentially. And so that really interested me. Yeah. And that's how I got into media and podcasting. It was all like, and as you can see, like I thought I wanted to be a chef. Then I was like, okay, now I'm going to be a coach. And like, like I tell people too, coaching didn't, I didn't pick coaching ever. And I still don't really see myself so much as a coach, as a consultant, but in whatever it picked me. So I did that for a while. Then that led to the books to answer the question that I was getting. Then the books led to, from a disaster, landed to the TV gig. The mm -hmm. TV gig landed to that, the, to all more TV gigs. The TV gigs land, met, introduced me to the guy from radio, got into radio, found podcasting. Along the way, I was, like I said, I was doing newspaper stuff, radio, TV. So I had my hand in pretty much every form of media mm -hmm. at that time. So now that I'm here doing what I do now, I have that experience and I've gone down that path, which was a little roundabout, but I can see every step of the way how it led to the next thing. The other thing is when I landed my first TV gig, I wasn't trying to do that, but I could have, when everything started to go wrong, I could have packed it up. I could have given everyone their money back, given them a free book, packed it up and been like, Hey, we'll do this again next week or whatever. Sorry. It's just not working out. But I didn't. My chefs, you know, that, that training kicked in and I, just got through it. And sometimes those things are tests. Yeah. Like when everything seems to be the worst and it sucks to be in it, don't get me wrong, it was embarrassing and it sucked. Mm. But that was the test that led to that. And, yeah. you know, one thing leads to another and leads to another. Yeah. So I love that. Yeah. I, have, I have one final question for you. Yeah. Where can people find you online? And if they want to get their voice out there in the digital mm -hmm. space, how can you help them? I, my company that I have is we do a, we do full scale strategy and production because I think you need both. Um, and as if you're, especially if you're an entrepreneur or you're someone who has a message and you're focused in on that message, that's where your focus needs to be. All the back end stuff needs to happen because you need to be very professional and you need to make sure everything's on brand. And 
and in alignment and the strategy is actually producing a return. That's super important too. Mm -hmm. Most people jump into media without a strategy. So we do all of that stuff with our clients. We're very full scale, very hands-on. Um, and so you can find me, my site's mariopereca.com, but if my last name's a little hard to spell, which for most people it is, you can, my company's called MediaMar. So you can go to mediamar.io and that'll take you to, you know, what we do and how we do it and all of that stuff. And the best way to kind of learn more is just to have a conversation with me. So you can schedule a call. My schedule link's there. Schedule a call. Let's talk about it. And, you know, it's not a sales call because most people are like, oh, that's only I need another. That's not what it is. I actually like to, I, I like talking about this stuff and it excites me. So my first goal is to learn as much about you as I can because mm -hmm. that is exciting too. I love to meet new people. But then based on what I know about you, I will just tell you what my strategy would be based on where you are and what I now know and my experience in media. And then if it makes sense for us to partner and do it together, then we can make an offer and do that. If it doesn't and you, or you just want to go do your thing, maybe the timing's not right or whatever, that's fine too. I mean, I'll still give you that value. So that, I, like I said, I, I believe in paying it forward first, giving the value. And then what opportunities come, they come. But I, I like everyone to be on the same page and everyone to be, to want to actually be there. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. All that will be linked in the show notes. Make sure you connect with him. Very final question is going to be a little different than what we normally do because I'm curious about something three times. Uh, we've talked about a lot of stuff. We've talked about how to have better conversations and be more present. We've talked about cooking. We've talked about media. But three times you have weaved in that this idea of empathy. And twice you brought up this idea of giving back, putting the other person before yourself. And I think that's a skill that um, we can understand intuitively and cognitively and see why that's important. But developing that within ourselves where it's uh, almost immediate or you get there quicker, like you said earlier, something you have to practice. So I was just wondering uh, if you have any tips or things that we can practice to become more empathetic. Uh, with the person that's in front of us or maybe the group that's in front of us because it seems as though you see that's an important key to conversations. Yeah, I have a saying that I actually learned from a retreat that I went on and it's like something that I always keep front and center and it's I am third. And I always try to remember that. What I mean by that is number one is God, number two is everyone else, and number three is me. And if I keep that order then a lot of good things happen. So I, I always believe too that, you know, when you're talking to someone else or when you're in this dynamic, it's like, there's a reason for this. There's a reason that we met. Like if you're, if you're a spiritual person, right? Or a religious person or whatever, what, you know, one of the things I'm, I'm practicing Catholic, one of the things we believe, and most people don't know this, one of the things we believe as Catholics is that anytime we pray, that is, that prayer is not started by us. We don't say, okay, I'm going to pray. That's God opening conversation with us. And the way that he does that is by having us pray. And that opens dialogue. So I believe that that is just an example of saying, I believe that everything's guided. So mm -hmm. when I meet someone, I believe there's a reason for that. Mm -hmm. And so I'm always trying to uncover what's the reason? Why are we here? Why, you know, can't, how can I help you? And that's the way, and that, I think that's the differentiating factor with sales too, right? So if you're someone who does sales to make the super practical, if you're someone who does sales, most people go in only thinking about numbers, thinking about ABC, always be closing, right? What, how can I, how can I get this person to become a client? But when you're thinking that way, you're putting yourself first. Just like if you're, if you're someone, and we haven't, we touched on this, but didn't get into it. If you're someone who's super nervous about public speaking, right? Like mm -hmm. that's like your thing. You're like, I just never want to be on the stage. I hope I never get called out. When you think about it, 
that's you putting yourself first because you're more worried about mm-hmm. how you're going to be perceived rather than the power of the message you have for everyone else. So when you really understand that there's a reason for everything, there's a reason we're in contact and it's not so I can manipulate you or persuade you or get you to do something that you're not willing to do. When you start thinking, how can I serve? How can I help? Why are we talking? And what can I do for you? That will absolutely change the game. And when you do that, you'll start to show up as the person you really are Mm -hmm. because you're, you know, putting that out there and it's not about you anymore. So you don't care if they dislike how you're dressed or whatever. And when that happens, it gives them, like I said, permission to become themselves. It's one thing to ask really good questions. That's good. That's a good start. Mm -hmm. But when you show up and you put the other person first, it changes the whole vibe and the whole energy. And it allows them to really feel comfortable, to know they're in a safe space, to be themselves and be accepted. And then as a salesperson, you really know what the real problem is. Because what a lot of times will happen, especially in a potential sales situation, is people will cover their real problem with smaller level surface problems because they're embarrassed about what their real problem is. And so when that happens, you think you know what their problem is and you think you're presenting a solution, but that problem's not gonna solve the real problem that they have, number one, so you'll never feel like you delivered. But number two, it's not gonna resonate with them as deeply because you don't really understand them. The way you can really sell to someone is by really understanding them, really connecting with them, and you know, making sure it's a good fit for them. And the only way to do that is to have empathy. The only way to do that is to try to feel what that part, and it's all about feeling. It's getting more out of your head and more into your heart and really feeling what that other person feels. My favorite thing that Mario said in today's interview was this idea of going where you are being pulled not where you are pushing. What is pulling you today? What is that still small voice saying to you? You've got to trust it, my friend. It's there for a reason. Again, connect with Mario at marioparecca.com. That is linked in the show notes. And before we go, if you need any support in your unconventional journey, if you need a tribe, a community of people who get it, head over to Facebook and type in unconventional leaders in the search bar. You'll find us over there. We love you. We're in your corner. We'll see you in our next episode.